Good evening, everyone. It's great to be with you tonight. Let me add my own welcome to All Saints. If you're joining us for the first time online, my name's Tom, as Gareth said, one of the curates here. And we're continuing our sermon series, looking through the book of Acts at the moment. Last week, Gareth spoke about how the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost and the crowds in Jerusalem were amazed at hearing the disciples speaking in all of their own languages. And tonight we're reading Acts chapter two and we're looking at Peter's speech as he shares the gospel with the crowds in Jerusalem. And so do grab a Bible at home, get it up open on the app on your phone. Uh, We're reading from chapter two and I'm not going to read the whole of Peter's speech. I'll read a chunk from the start and a chunk from the end. Uh, So Acts chapter two and verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And skipping to verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, I don't know about you. I I find reading that passage so challenging every time that I read it. Um, And I don't know how you feel about sharing your faith. I don't know when the last time you had a conversation about Jesus with someone outside the church was. I don't know if it's the kind of thing that that makes you anxious, just all tense up at the very idea. Um, Maybe uh, feel desperate to share your faith, but don't quite know how to do it. Um, Maybe feel guilty because you know you should, but really you don't want to at all. And there's that conflict within you. Uh, however it is for you. I find reading this passage so challenging because of the confidence of Peter. I mean, thankfully, we're not all called to stand up in front of thousands of people outside and, and give long monologues about our faith in Jesus. But Peter's confidence in the gospel. And as he speaks at the end of this passage, 3,000 people come to faith. Uh, in, in Romans chapter one, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. But if I'm honest, in my life, I I think I often act as if I am ashamed of the gospel. If you were to look at my actions on a day-to-day basis, so often I'm not as bold as I think I would be if I really did believe that the gospel was the power of God for the salvation of all. Uh, I remember 
once as a student. Uh, it's a memory that's going to always stick with me because it just completely flipped my mindset and it exposed how how quick I am to doubt the power of the gospel, to think that actually sharing my faith is going to have no effect. Uh, and what happened is I'd invited a friend to Bible study with me. The friend wasn't a Christian. He came along to my Bible study. He sat down next to me. And the guy who was leading the Bible study said, we're going to study Ephesians 4, open up your Bibles. And he read the passage just like I did. And this is the passage that he read with my non-Christian friend sitting right next to me. Imagine how I must have felt. Ephesians 4 verse 17. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Um, and I was just cringing as that was read with my friend sitting next to me. I didn't know which way to look. I thought, oh no, why did I invite him? Uh, I was pretty quiet for the whole of the Bible study. And then as we walked back to where we were staying, then I basically tried to change the subject, talk about the weather, talk about sport, talk about anything else. And then out of the blue, he said to me, you know, Tom, when that Bible passage was read at the beginning of the study, something just gripped me because I thought, yeah, that is what, I'm like, I, I do feel this continual desire for more. I, I never have enough and nothing seems to satisfy me. And if Jesus really is who he said he was, and I can see how that is completely where I am, I'm really going to have to think about this. I knew I could have picked my jaw up from the floor. I was completely, completely gobsmacked. I was not expecting that response. And in a moment, uh, he moved me from kind of fear and trembling about the fact that my friend had heard some challenging words from the Bible to being surprised by the power of the gospel. And I shouldn't have been surprised because God's word is meant to convict us. It's his word. But so often I don't have that confidence. And that's why actually even as a professional Christian, you know, paid by a church to, to do my job, doing Alpha every term is so helpful for me personally because every term to be able to gather together with a small group of others from inside and outside the church and to discuss Jesus' words and his claims question them, interrogate them, and to see them with fresh eyes. Every term, I am surprised again by the power of the gospel as my friends come and see the difference that Jesus makes in who he is. Uh, just the, about a year ago, I was standing here on this stage with a friend who'd come to faith on Alpha, and we were interviewing him, just like Marcia just interviewed Ashley, to hear about uh, what it had been like. And, and his testimony was that when he realized who Jesus was and what he came to do, he, he, he just said, it's too good to be true. If this, if this is true, this is the best news ever, it's too good to be true. Because what we find is when we come and we look at what G, who Jesus is and his words in scripture, the gospel has power. It opens our eyes to his truth. It wins our hearts back to God. That's why I'm looking forward to my Alpha group this term. I've invited three or four friends and people I've met over the last couple of years from outside the church. We're going to gather on Zoom on Wednesday nights. And I'm really looking forward to exploring together Jesus with them just like I do every term, and I'm sure I'm going to be surprised again by the power of the gospel. Because the truth is, as quick as I am to forget it, um, despite my and your, despite our fear and our anxiety and our reluctance to leave our comfort zone, the gospel is actually true. Did you know that? The gospel actually has power. It really is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Just as we see in this story in Acts chapter 2, as Peter speaks to the crowds and 3,000 come to faith as he points them to Jesus. 
everyone who calls on the name of the Lord really will be saved. And I think that this is particularly relevant for us now when we're tired and weary after a year or 10 months of COVID. Because I don't know about you, I've come face to face with my weakness over the last year. I've seen so many places where I haven't been sufficient to how it's felt as we've gone through the ups and downs. And actually as a whole country, we've experienced that. Um, that our self-confidence has been challenged and actually our eyes have been opened to our need for God. And there's a real spiritual openness around. People are more open to spiritual questions. There's perhaps never been a time where people have known their need of hope, known their need of help from the outside more. And so it's a really important time for us to offer Jesus the hope of the world. So let's have a look at this passage from Acts chapter two. Let's open it up and as we study it together, let's hope that God's word to us can cut away the cobwebs of our doubt and our fear and our lack of faith so that we could be surprised again by the power of the gospel and see how it is that we can share our faith too. And the first thing that I notice here in Acts chapter 2 is is how Peter starts, how Peter starts right where the people are. It's actually, the gospel makes most sense as the response to the questions that people are asking. And just before what we've read in verse 14, we see that the people, having heard uh, the disciples speaking in their own languages after the Spirit fell at Pentecost, verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And then Peter stands up and he explains to them what it meant. The gospel makes most sense when it connects with people at the place that they are, with the questions that they're asking. And often as people live out lives filled by the power of the Spirit, we should be provoking questions as people see the difference that Jesus has made to us. So Peter starts where they are, and again, because he's speaking to religious Jews at a Jewish festival in Jerusalem, he begins with a long quotation from the Old Testament, from the Jewish scriptures. And then as he moves to talk about Jesus in the middle of the speech, he he again quotes from the Psalms at length. Because Peter is speaking the language of the people he's talking to. He's talking within their frame of reference. He's showing how Jesus makes sense of what they already know to be true. And if we're to be heard at all as we invite our friends to to know about Jesus' love, we've got to start with where people already are. But the second thing is that Peter then moves on to share Jesus. And I don't know about you, how many of us would have stopped at the end of verse 21? The people are asking, what's going on? How can this happen? What's, What's happening? And Peter says, well, it's Pentecost. It's what the prophet Joel prophesied. We've been filled by the Holy Spirit. It's this that it said here in the Old Testament. And at that point, at the end of verse 21, Peter's answered their question. And if you're anything like me, you'd be tempted at that point to stop short, say, right, goodbye, thanks for that. Thanks for asking the question, see you later. But he doesn't. He doesn't stop short. He takes the opportunity to get to the heart of the answer, to go on. And from verse 21, he starts telling them about Jesus. He tells them about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. He tells them that Jesus was God made human, that he proves it by rising from the dead, that God's come to intervene in the mess of our lives, that God has died on a Roman cross to pay the price for my sin and yours. And he ends by inviting them to come to know Jesus for themselves. Peter doesn't pull his punches. He doesn't stop short. He answers their question, but then he moves on to show them how the heart of what they're asking is actually Jesus. Now Peter's the spokesperson for the disciples. The other 11 aren't standing up and making this big long speech and the uh, answer to this is not for us all to walk out of our houses and shout as we broadcast to our street in a loud voice the good news of Jesus. But what he, Peter's doing, we're all called to do on the phone as we catch up with our friends, on the family Zoom meeting, 
uh, as we walk the dog with our neighbor, as we take the bins out, in our conversations in the day-to-day, we're called to start with where people are and the questions they're asking, but then to take them by the hand and to show them Jesus, to share the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for them in a way that makes sense to them. We're all called to start where our friends are and show them that it's Jesus who makes sense of life. Because whatever our deepest questions are, whatever the things that we most value and hold dear to, whatever it is that we're searching for, if it's good, then at the end of that journey, Jesus will be the place that we find it most. Uh, At my stage of life, lots of my friends are becoming parents. And one of the key questions for for lots of my friends is, well, how do I I be a good dad? You know, my, my dad might have been that good might have been a good dad, might have not been a good dad. I might have different experiences, but how do I raise my child well? And so when I talk to my friends about faith, I talk about what a good father God is to me. I talk about the the difference that God's parenting and love for me makes as I try and be a good dad to Sophia in turn. And and that it connects. It shows how the gospel makes sense of where we are in our lives. And your friends and family, it might be how to build a healthy marriage. It might be a concern for justice or for a better society. It might be worries about morality. It might be a search for the meaning of life. Whatever is important, if it's good, we'll find it most in Jesus. Because it's Jesus who is at the center of all things. It's Jesus who makes sense of life. So we start where our friends are. We show them the difference that Jesus makes. But then also, we show the need for a response. Peter doesn't just end with a, thanks very much, nice to see you, hopefully see you next week. He, he, he makes clear at the end that there is a response that's needed. And just like my friend in that Bible study when I was a student, as Peter finishes, the, the people we read in verse 37, they're cut to the heart. And they ask themselves, what must we do as Peter urges them to repent? Because the truth is that the gospel requires a response. It's good news, but it's not news like Yorkshireman wins the lottery or I found a great place for lunch today. You know, it's not news like that. The the gospel is news, like there's a bomb in the room, everybody out. The, The gospel's news like a fire alarm blaring, saying your house is on fire. You've got to do something about it. When the fire alarm goes off, you can believe there's a fire and get out of the house. Or you can choose to ignore it, to dismiss it, to stay in and take the risk. But doing nothing is itself a choice. The gospel is news that demands a response. The gospel's news, it's it's like a proposal. When I knelt down in the sand and asked Sarah to marry me, if she'd said, I'm going to stay neutral on this one, not going to say yes, not going to say no, I'm just going to stay in the middle, I would not have been best pleased. Um, That was a a vulnerable moment and you, you, you need a response. God is inviting us to know him. To do nothing is itself a choice against And God's calling us as his hands and his feet, as his voice in this world to point our friends to Jesus' love, to start where they are, to show them Jesus, and then to show them that this is news that requires a response. I can still remember going to a pub for lunch with a friend a few years ago. Um, And he wasn't a Christian. Um, He wasn't from a Christian family. But he had a few Christian Christian friends. And their lifestyle and some of the things they said had just raised questions in his mind. And he realized he had some questions he didn't know the answers to. So I said, well, why don't we go for for lunch? I'll buy you lunch. And we can chat about Jesus. And he said, sure. Yeah, I've got loads of questions. Um, And so we had lunch. And I told him about Jesus. Jesus. 
just as Peter does to the crowds at Pentecost. I told him that, that Jesus was a, a real human being, that there's no question about that. I told him about the historical reliability of the Bible, how we can trust the records that we read. Um, I told him that Jesus wasn't just a good moral teacher, but that he actually claimed to be God, the Almighty, come down into human history. Uh, and then I told him that even more bizarrely than that, Jesus said he would rise from the dead to prove it. And he did. I told him about the historical evidence, about the problem of the empty tomb, how Jesus was killed by professional executioners, the Romans, but then the tomb was empty. And how how Jesus' enemies couldn't have taken the body, because otherwise they'd have just held up the corpse to prove he was dead. But Jesus' disciples couldn't have taken the body, because they went to their deaths martyred for the claim that he'd risen. And we know that nobody dies for a lie. I told him about the problem of the resurrection appearances, how the disciples who'd known Jesus so well were so convinced that he was alive that they were willing to die for it, that somehow they'd been convinced that they'd met him. And not just Jesus' friends, but his enemies, his little brother James, who thought that Jesus was mad, and his enemy Paul, who was going around killing the Christians, both converting and becoming leading members of the church because they had an encounter with the risen Jesus after his death. And if you want to hear that evidence to yourself, if you want to work through it, it's all there in the second Alpha video, Who is Jesus? The link again is on our website, forward slash Alpha. Why don't you listen to it and get to know the evidence for Jesus being who he said he was? Why not invite a friend to come and listen to it with you and to talk through it together? Because as I outlined all of the evidence and all of the truths that Jesus said and did, my friend rocked back in his chair and I can still see his expression. He said, Why did no one tell me this before? To which I had no answer. Why had nobody told him? Uh, One of Gareth, our associate vicar's friends, came to preach here a couple of years ago. And she described how in her 30s, she'd never met a Christian. Nobody had told her about Jesus. And then eventually in her mid-30s, someone came and they explained the gospel to her. And she came to faith and now she's leading a church. But in her mid-30s, nobody had told her about Jesus. My friends, there is a whole world out there of human beings that Jesus loved so much he died to save them. And they do not know him. They think that Jesus was just a fairy tale. They have no idea that he was a real man. They have no idea that he was actually God come to earth. They've never heard of the evidence of the resurrection. They think that they're good enough for God as they are. They've never heard of Jesus' death for them on the cross. They've never seen a miracle or have any idea that God still works in power today. And they are bound for an eternity separated from God unless someone tells them the good news of what Jesus has done to save them. My friends, as we look at Acts chapter two, as we see again this stark reminder of the power of the gospel, one speech that sees 3,000 people come to faith in one day, could we again, could we cut through our, our own fears, our own love of our own comfort, our our reluctance to go and share our faith, because it is scary. Could we be surprised again by the power of the gospel? So that our friends and family might come to know Jesus' love for themselves as well. Because our message is simple. We just point to Jesus, that's all we do. We point to him, but when we do, he saves And he's longing to use you and me today, this week, this term to invite our friends and family to come to know his love for themselves. 
And if you're, um, as I'm speaking about this, I know that this is a scary topic for some of us. I know that some people will be feeling just really tense as I'm speaking. I can't do it. It's too scary. Um, some of us feeling, you know, that, that guilt of, I, I know I should do, but I just don't know how. Um, some of us still feel the hurt of past rejection, where we've spoken to friends or family about Jesus and they've rejected it and it hurts. Um, whatever it is that's getting in between you and sharing your faith, can I encourage you tonight just to bring it to Jesus, to come as we pray in a couple of minutes, lift it up to the Lord and say, Lord, this is why, this is what I'm struggling with, this is the block, this is what's holding me back, and just invite Jesus into that place. Because the Peter who gives this speech in Acts chapter 2, so bold, so eloquent, so powerful, just a few weeks earlier, he'd stood at a fireside and denied he even knew Jesus three times to a girl he'd never met before. What's the difference in Peter over a few weeks? It's not him. It's that Jesus has taken him by the hand. He's forgiven him. He's reinstated him and he's filled him with his Holy Spirit. It's God that makes the difference in Peter's life. It's the Spirit who speaks through him. It's Jesus who gives him the power. When we go and share our faith with our friends, it's not in our own power. If we tried that, it'd be a disaster and rightly so. It's God who speaks through us. And he will give us everything we need. We're so quick to disqualify ourselves, like Moses with his stutter or Sarah in her old age. We think of so many reasons that God could not use us. But he wants to cut through them all. So whatever's holding you back in a moment, would you bring it to the Lord and allow him to meet you in that place? Now, you can share your faith however you want to, but we're, we're just offering Alpha as a really easy resource, as a way of doing that over the next few weeks. You saw the uh, teaser video earlier in the service. They're really well produced. And the great advantage of Alpha is if you don't feel confident to do what I did and to take a friend to lunch and talk to them about Jesus yourself and to kind of share, all, share knowledge and you think you don't know enough, it's all there in the videos. All you've got to do is click play and Nikki Gumbel and Francis Collins and a load of people with huge brains, they'll be able to share all the information and they'll be able to share all of the content and then all we have to do is have a chat I say well what did you think chat it through back and forth if you don't feel confident to do it Alpha is a great way of sharing faith because it's all there in the videos and the truth is that whether it's your neighbours on your street whether it's family that you live with or family on the other side of the world through a zoom call whether it's friends from work at the end of the day we have nothing to lose except a little bit of reputation maybe a little bit of comfort we have nothing to lose but they have everything to gain. And now is the time. There's no better time to share our faith than a point where we're all feeling pretty weak and pretty exhausted because around the country, we know our need of Jesus. We know that we need him. We know here that we know that Jesus is the hope of the world and he wants to use us to share his love with those around us. The truth is that Jesus loves our friends and family even more than we do. If we're willing to step out in faith, he will come with us. And I have no doubt that as we step out and invite our friends and family to hear about Jesus' love over the next few weeks, that you, along with me, we're all gonna be surprised again by the power of the gospel, surprised by God's desire to save, surprised by God's love, surprised by what God can do when we invite people to come and see Jesus. So shall we pray together? You might find it helpful to hold out your hands, might find it helpful to stand. And I'm just gonna invite the Holy Spirit to meet us in the place that we are. So come, Lord Jesus. Um, and we lift to you, Lord, all of our fears, all of our doubts, 
all of our uncertainties, all the things we're not sure of, all the things that hold us back. We lift to you our weakness. And we just ask, Lord, that you would meet us by your spirit in that place. Give us everything that we need. Bring us healing from past hurt. Give us the confidence that you will go with us, even if we're not sure of the words. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us, we pray. Equip us to be your ambassadors. And again, we wait. We give God the space to fill us with his love again, to give us everything that, he need, that we need. Lord, would you meet us in our weakness? And I pray for my brothers and sisters around uh, the community. I pray, Lord, that you would give us your boldness. Would you break our hearts, Lord Jesus, with compassion for our friends and family? Would you help us to see them as you see them? To so fill us with your love that it must overflow out to them, that we cannot keep silent because we believe in the power of your word and because we're so filled with love for them. Would you give us the same love that brought you down from heaven to be born in a manger and from that manger to die on a cross for us? Would you break our hearts with compassion for the lost? In the quiet, you might want to ask God to draw your attention to someone that he wants you to invite to do Alpha to give you the name of someone that he's calling you to reach out to to share his love. And he'll lead. And as God does draw your attention to the name of someone that you know you need to share this with, uh, why not pray for them? Why not right now as we're waiting in the spirit just begin to intercede that they would see how much Jesus loves them, that he'd meet them where they are. And as we do that, I want to speak to you for a moment if you're listening to this and you haven't yet come to faith. Uh, maybe you've been shared, maybe you've seen this online, maybe this has been shared with you by someone in the congregation. Maybe you've seen many of these videos, maybe this is the first one. But you haven't made the decision to give your life to Jesus. You know that he came to earth because he loved you. You know that he died to take your place on the cross. You know that he's done everything needed to wipe away your sin, to bring you back to relationship with God as your father. Why not now? Why not now give your life to him? If you want to do that, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I'm so sorry for the ways I've fallen short. Thank you for dying in my place. Would you fill me with your love? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you lead me in your ways? Why not do that now? Why not give your life to him tonight? And if you have done that, please do drop me a note. I'd love to give you a call. I'd love to chat more. If you're listening and you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, but you're not ready to make that step tonight, why not come to Alpha? Come and bring your questions. Come and discuss. Everything's there on the website. Uh, we'll be launching in a few days. I'd love to see you there and chat about it. But Lord Jesus, with all that we are, we give ourselves to you. We thank you for your love. And we pray that this week you would fill us up with your spirit and send us out to be your missionaries in a world that is desperate and desperately in need 
of your healing and your hope. In Jesus' name, amen.